welcome to the sermon podcast for Ashburn Baptist Church, Chicago. We pray the message you are about to hear is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. Well, that was an awesome time in worship. Let's give our God one more praise. That was honestly fun. Man, I love worshiping with you guys on Sunday mornings. There's nothing like it. I love hearing your voices sing out to God. I love hearing you talk about the great things you believe that your God can do, and there's nothing that our God can't do. I love singing about God's amazing grace, and I love worshiping Jesus together. There's no place like church. There's no place like Ashburn. Man, I love being with you here on Sunday mornings because all of us are worshiping. Do you know that? All of us are worshiping something, but what is worship? I heard this story recently that connected with me. There was a guy named Dante. He was an Italian poet, and he was deeply immersed in prayer during a church service. There was a specific part of the service during this very liturgical service where he was supposed to kneel, and he failed to kneel at the correct moment. Enemies saw that happen where he missed his kneeling opportunity and they hurried to the bishop and demanded that Dante be punished for his sacrilege. Dante defended himself by saying something like this. If those who accuse me had had their eyes and minds on Jesus like they should have had, they too would have failed to notice the things going on around them. And they certainly would not have noticed what I was doing. Maybe you can relate with that situation too. Because when I was a kid, I would wait until prayer time to try to get my little brother in trouble. We'd all sit down for dinner. He'd start to pray. My dad would start to pray a prayer, and my eyes would be glued on my little brother, hoping that his eyes would remain open so that the second my dad finished his prayer within Jesus' name, amen, I could say Caleb's eyes were open. Did anybody have a little brother or a big brother that did that to them all the time? Man, I tried to get Caleb in trouble all the time with that, and my mom's response was always the same. She would say, how would you know unless your eyes were open too? I think we do that a lot when it comes to worship. It's not just a thing that little brothers and sisters try to do during dinner to get each other in trouble. But I think it's what we as adults do as well. We look around us to see what other people are doing when it comes to worship. So that we can determine in our own lives whether we're doing this whole worship thing correctly. We, we put ourselves in the same position, and many times people say, don't peek, don't look, keep your eyes closed, but today I'm asking you to peek. Today I'm telling you that it's okay to look at how other people are worshiping as we look in 1 Kings 13. In 1 Kings 13, we find a king. He's the king of Israel, and his name is Jeroboam. He's leading his nation, his kingdom, into worship. However, they were not worshiping God. They were worshiping idols. Jeroboam had set up golden calves all across his country from Bethel to Dan, which spanned the entire nation. Next to each calf, he would have an altar where they could sacrifice to these idols. This morning, as we look, as we peek at different types of worship, the first worship style that we'll see in 1 Kings 13 is what we call idol worship. Idol worship. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, well, that doesn't really connect with me. Idol worship isn't something that's really in my life. And that makes sense because you're here on Sunday morning, you're worshiping the one true God. It's estimated that right now there are over 63,000 gods, lowercase g, in the world today. And I promise you, you're worshiping at least one of them. 
And although I don't believe we have any worshipers of Buddha or Zeus or Ra or Allah, I wouldn't be surprised if we have other idol worshipers. It's not just about golden calves anymore. Oh, in 1 Kings 13, they were worshiping golden calves with altars next to them, but our idols aren't golden calves. No, sometimes our golden calves look like money, fame, sports, what we can get, what we can have, our popularity, our beauty, our music, our entertainment, our relationship, our family. Golden calves, idol worship. And in 1 Kings 13, we're reminded of a few things when it comes to idol worship, idols that we place over God himself. We're reminded that idol worship gives us temporary pleasure. Look at verse 1 of 1 Kings 13. Jeroboam was standing by the altar. Jeroboam believed that what he was doing was the right thing to do. For whatever reason, worshiping idols was what was best for him, his family, his country. It was his choice, and he stood by it, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He stood by his idols, stood by his decision to worship a false god. He stood by it. And maybe today you're here. You're doing the exact same thing. Oh, you stand by your idol because you think it's a good thing. Like, my kids are important. My grandkids are important. My retirement's important. My job is important. My career is important. My sport is important. And you believe in it. And not only do you believe in it, you believe it's what's best for you, for your family, for the people that are in your life. See, idol worship many times seems like the right thing to do. That's probably why David says in Psalm 115, their idols are sins. Idol worship does give us temporary pleasure. It does seem to offer us something that we need or we're lacking. But not only does it give us temporary pleasure, it also gives us a tantalizing perception. Idol worship is very good at making something appear to be what it is not. See, at some point, Satan lied to Jeroboam. He gave him this false perception that what he was worshiping would pay off in the long run. And I feel like Satan's telling the same lie to a lot of Christians. Hey, it's okay if you miss church every once in a while for that event. It's okay if you miss devotional time in God's word for whatever else you're prioritizing over it. Family's important. Work's important. Your health's important. They'll pay off. Keep investing. It's a tantalizing perception because idols seem to give us everything that they want, but they never offer us the greatest treasure we could ever receive. Here's what David said in Psalm 115. He said, these idols have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have noses, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they don't feel. They have feet, but they don't walk. And they don't even make a sound in their throat. Oh, they look right. They're shaped right. They look like something you and I can relate to, but in reality, they're nothing. They're just a statue of what could be. They seem to give you everything you need, but in reality, they take everything that you have. It's a tantalizing perception. 
But idol worship also gives us tremendous pain. As Jeroboam is standing by his altar, a prophet sent by God to deliver God's truth arrives. And by the way, God's truth will always be delivered. It never fails. It's always on time. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it will stand forever. And the prophet begins to prophesy against the altar and King Jeroboam. He talks about the destruction that's heading their way. He talks about how there's a man named Judah who's going to rise up to be born and to become the king, and he will destroy the altar, and that altar will split open, and it will spill out its guts. King Jeroboam becomes upset at that prophecy. He takes his hand and he points it at the young prophet and as he's commanding for that prophet to be arrested and stretches out his finger, his hand begins to wither away. In a moment of fright, he, he begs that young prophet to heal his hand and the prophet does. I would do the same thing if my hand began to wither. I began to backtrack, backtrack his attitude totally changes and he receives healing. You know, your idol in the end will cause you so much pain. It will take, it will take, it will take, and it will never give back. David's been talking about idols in Psalm 115, and this is how he concludes it. it. He said that these idols are silver and gold or the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. Ears, but don't hear. Noses, but don't smell. Hands, but don't feel. Feet, but don't walk. They don't make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. All those idols that look right but don't have any action behind their looks, those who worship them will become like them. A simple replica of what they could be. And perhaps you're sitting here and you know the pain of idol worship. Because it caused you great pain. You put something in your life in a position that it had no position to hold and you watch that idol slowly begin to chip away at your life. That relationship that you made your top priority ended and your life came crumbling down. That God that you had placed at a high priority in your life has taken and taken and taken and now it has caused you great pain in your life. I speak as a testimony of my own life. As I look back, I can recognize a lot of idols that had the improper position in my own life that took a place over God. Whether it was a sport, a relationship, a talent, or my own ministry, every single time that I placed something ahead of God in my life, it always caused me tremendous pain. Because my idol took a role in my life that it could not handle. And I want you to know today that if there's anything in your life that's ahead of your relationship with God, that thing is in a position that it cannot handle. In the end, it will cause you great pain. It'll cause you great grief because that relationship with that person is not greater than your God. That career is not greater than your God. That thing is not greater than your God. It cannot handle that place in your life. But not only do we find idol worship in 1 Kings 13, we also find idol worship 
in 1 Kings 13. I did not stutter. I did not misspeak. We were talking about I-D-O-L worship, and now we're talking about I-D-L-E worship, idol worship, worship that is in a neutral position. As King Jeroboam stands by his altar for false gods, gods that had no place and position in his life, a prophet of God comes and speaks out against the king of Israel for his idol worship. After he said that all had God commanded him to do, he, he left, and God told him not to return for anything. Don't come back to the place that you just are. And by the way, whenever God gives you direction in your life, you wholeheartedly follow it, follow it and do not turn back. When God gives you a direction, you follow God's direction for your life, and you do not turn back. And that's what God told the young prophet to do. But an old prophet hears that there's a new prophet in town. He goes after the new prophet. He finds the new prophet sitting under an oak tree. And we pick up the story in verse 18. Where the old prophet says to him, I also am a prophet like you are. An angel came to me and spoke to me by the word of the Lord. Saying, bring him back. Bring him into your own house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So the young prophet went back with him and ate bread at his house and drank water. Let let me get this straight. The old prophet of God lied to the young prophet of God and made the young prophet of God that God had just used to prophesy his truth to turn back on God's will for his life. That's what just happened. How does something like that happen in your life? Can I just let this be a lesson to all of us? Just because a man was once a great follower of God doesn't mean that they don't make mistakes. And as I look at the lives of Christians and as I look at even the heritage of our own church, I've seen men and women flee the presence of God because they were listening to a voice of an old prophet who was no longer in communion with God. And this man surely at one time was a great follower of God. Surely at one time God was using him and working through him, but now he was living a little bit close to the altar for the false god. Now he was sitting still in his idol worship. Oh, there was a day when he was proclaiming the truth for God, when he was on the front lines for God, where he was actively serving for the cause of his God, but now he was pretty neutral in his worship. He was so neutral that he was willing to lie to the man of God. Now, perhaps you're in a similar position. God has used you in your past. You talk about what God did on that old bus route. You talk about what God used to do in Awana. You talk about what used to happen in door-to-door soul winning and in Sunday school. But, but now, you don't really do a lot for God anymore. Oh, sure, you go to church. Sure, you read your Bible. Sure, you give in the offering, but you don't really serve anymore. You're not really involved anymore. You're idle, I-D-L-E, in your worship. You know, we find that idle worship does a couple things in our lives. First of all, it distracts other people. We just read that. He goes after the man of God. He finds him sitting under an oak tree. The old prophet finally catches up to the young prophet who is in the middle of doing God's work and he distracts him from the task at hand. I want you to know that your idleness doesn't just affect you. It affects people around you. 
Like your church can't be as effective as it could be because of your idleness. Your pastors are limited because of your idleness. God's work is hindered because of your idleness. Our complaining about how things could be done or how things used to be done is a result of the idleness that's in our own heart. We, we look back in, in time and we think, oh wow, remember when God did this and remember when God did that, but when it comes to the present, the here and the now, we're not really active. And our idleness is holding back a generation and a church that can see God do great things because there's nothing that our God can't do. Our refusal to be a part of the solution is holding back the work of God, just like in 1 Kings 13. It distracts other people, but secondly, it disobeys God. Here's what happens in verse 18. He says to him, I'm also a prophet just like you. An angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you into your house that he can eat bread and drink water. But he lied to The man who was once a prophet of God was now a problem against God. And when you and I get stuck in our worship, we are always disobeying God. We're living in disobedience to God. Oh, we might not start out going against the work of God, but it ends up there. Because whenever we become idle in our worship, it becomes destructive in our spirit. Every year, there's between 60,000 and 200,000 people who will die from a medical condition that's known as deep vein thrombosis, DVT. Usually, DVT occurs when a person's leg has a blood clot that pulls, allowing blood to not circulate. And once it's formed, the danger is that that clot might become dislodged and end up in your lungs or end up in your brain where it can cause respiratory failure or stroke. The tragic thing to me about DBT is that it's not caused by some type of irresponsible behavior. Rather, DBT is just simply caused from inactivity. Simply lying for too long or for sitting for too long causes these clots that will eventually bring death. Today, I believe the Christians are suffering from a very similar disease. This disease starting in the legs, it starts in the heart. And the idleness that we've created in our worship transfers from our heart into every area of our life. It begins to spread until it becomes destructive. Idol worship. There is one more type of worship that we see in 1 Kings 13, and it's a worship that I'm praying we see in our church spread throughout all of us. Kings 14 finishes the story where it says Abijah the son of Jeroboam fell sick Jeroboam says to his wife arise and disguise yourself so that it might not be known to you that you're the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh and Ahijah the prophet is there well Jeroboam still wasn't following God's will but his son falls sick and he sends his wife to Shiloh because there there's a prophet His name's Ahijah. Ahijah's an old, blind, feeble guy. But he was still worshiping God with everything he had. The ideal way. What is the ideal worship that we're talking about? I think Romans tells us really well. It says, I appeal to 
by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That is worship. Complete surrender to God. God, here is every area of my life. And as we look at Ahijah, this old, feeble, blind prophet, he was active in his faith. He was wise in his testimony. He was bold with his words. He was grounded in the truth of God's word. And he was exercising ideal, complete surrender, worship to his God. And even though Jeroboam was a long ways from God, he still recognized that the God of Ahijah was the true God. The real God. The God that could perform the miracle that he needed. Church, I want you to know today that when we worship like we should, when we worship with reckless abandonment and recognition of who our God is so much so that we say, God, here's my life, all of it, people begin to recognize that your God is the true God. And it doesn't matter how far away from God they are, they recognize that the God that you have is the God that they need. And do we need men and women of all ages in Ashburn on 83rd Street who worship God sincerely, who stand up for the truth of the Bible, who proclaim it to anybody and everybody that'll listen, who live it out by serving God with all of their life, who worship Jesus in complete surrender. I heard an illustration in college that has stuck with me. I think this dollar bill can represent worship in every one of our lives this morning. For those of us who have idols in our life, gods who we placed ahead of God, idol worship takes a thing like this dollar bill and makes it their God. They worship it. Oh no, they don't build altars around it, they don't bow down to it, but every single part of their life revolves around it. They think about how they can get more of it. They do whatever they can to pursue it. They don't let anything get in between them and high in their life that it be worship where they just take this thing, whatever it is, and they place it so high in their life that it becomes God. Idol worship looks a little bit different. See, idol worship starts out as worshiping God, and it does good things for God. And there's moments in its life where it serves God, but but what that looks like is us just taking a piece of our life, giving the rest to God, saying, God, this belongs to you. And I look back in my life, and I recognize times in my life where I've done great things for God. This piece right here, I'm going to hold on to this, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to live how I want to live, and oh, don't worry, I used to be on a bus route. Don't worry, I used to teach in a Sunday school. Don't worry, I used to serve. I used to be excited for God, and I can look back in my life, and I can say, look at the great ways God used me, but now I'm going to live for me. Oh, don't judge me, because I used to do what you're doing can't get upset at me because I used to do great things for God. Idol worship neutral. That's not what we want to see either, church. See, idol worship
worship is what pushes people away from God at a faster pace than a pilot worship ideal. People come into church and they sit down next to us and they think that we're worshiping God and then they see us throughout the week not living like the same person who we are on Sundays. And then they don't want to have anything to do with it. See, there's one more way we could live our lives and that's by taking every single piece of our questions about your spiritual life, we would love to pray for you. Or if you would just like more information about visiting us in person, please email us at chicago at ashburnbaptist.com or visit our website ashburnbaptist.com slash chicago.